Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa Udang dhammang sanghang namasami So, so, so this is uh, the Christmas New Year period, often a time when people visit a family, or you'll have more time off, and uh, you know, quite natural thing for people to do when they get time off and they feel a bit more relaxed is go and visit their relatives, their in-laws, um, friends, keeping in touch, phone people up, write letters, and so on. Yeah. This is a natural thing that we we come out of our activities, things we're doing, we often want to check out the people in our lives you know, who we feel we care for or feel we want to keep in touch with. You know, it remains a constant feature of human life, we're social creatures and um, you know that's quite innate you know? and it's of course uh, something that's very you know it's, it's quite sensible really because of course you need other people you know um, when you get old or sick or fall over or something you know, at least when you're born, you need somebody. When you grow up, you need other people. You're growing up, you need other people to, you know, give you the messages of what works and what doesn't. To, you know, give it, shape you up in a way. You don't know who you are until you, you've got some other people to refer to. What's okay? What's the right behaviour? What's, what's proper? What's, how does it affect you? You know, I'm a bit too rough or too, you know, I don't know until somebody else can help me to find that. So then I can find my myself, my place in, in this human realm for other people. So more than just physical need, if you like, there's almost um, this need to you know to find out how to how to behave we have to other people. And then, you know, we're also beings who with meaning. We find meaning from how we affect other people. So people are what we do is approved of or enjoyed, we feel good. People don't like it or hate us for it, we feel bad. So some of the meaning in our life comes from the warmth or the distaste of other people. You know, these are and in the end, you know, you recognise whatever you're doing in your life, whatever things you do, finally a lot of the meanings can come back to, well, who are you with or what counts? Um, we look for examples from other humans, and uh, so it's something we continually come back to. Mm. What's called uh, so this is, if you like, the the, the dhamma or the norm of uh, human. We look just purely at human beings. The norm of them, they're social creatures, and the norm of of a, any kind of social behaviour is called called Hiri and Otapa, which is a sense of conscience and concern. So without this, you can't really have a social group. If I don't give a, if I don't care about, you know, what you think of me. It doesn't matter to me, you know, and all that. So Hiri Otapa is a sense of, um, you know, I, I value, I see value in you. I value you, and I also value myself. And I wouldn't want to to devalue myself by, you know, doing things that, that don't honour what I'm about. And I wouldn't like to devalue you. So it's not exactly like a fear of intimidation or of trying to be a good boy for everybody else, but, but on that level. But it's more a sense of, it's not based on fear or criticism, it's based on a sense of empathy. You know, 
because uh, who, who, you know, where else am I going to learn from? What else is who else want to get values from? Apart from other people, so that's got to be something that's sound and, and reasonable and solid. You know, and how can I do that if I really value myself and value you? And we and we can establish some kind of relationship where you know I can perhaps learn a bit, even things I don't feel rather awkward about or my miss my shortcomings. If I don't care about what you think, then I, there's no way I can learn about my shortcomings, is there? You might tell me, and I think, well, that's just your opinion, so what? <laughs> but if I, I actually think, oh, this person, you know, what they think is meaningful, what affects them is meaningful, and um, then, well, maybe there's something I could learn there. So is that you know, something very important for us or other people? So the norm of this is hiriotapa, which I say is not like a social fear or shame, but a sense of honour, honouring other people, honouring oneself. And really, to to develop this, one of course has to do what's honourable, and acknowledge what's honourable in other people. Some of us isn't that honourable. We have deflections and defilements and shortcomings. We get, we get uh, greedy and grasping and selfish and mean, and jealous and frightened and hostile and irritable. You know, these these aren't worth honouring. I mean, you can feel sympathy for it, <laughs> but I can also honour the fact that, well, you know, you're a human being. You have to carry this stuff and work with this stuff like I do. You know, it's tough, isn't it? I don't. I don't really like me when I'm mean or spiteful or jealous or greedy or whatever. But I've got to live with it and work with it. And I could use some some uh, some sympathy for that. <laughs> but it isn't what one honours. One honours something else. And if you like the kind of fundamental um, qualities of a human being, we can look at in three aspects of this: a body, speech, and heart or sometimes often called mind, but really I like to refer to more the heart sense of that, citta. Um, And uh, speech is really our thinking, our clarity aspects. And we have these three aspects, our body, speech and mind. These are often referred to. Um, And... You know, when we think of that, if we see, well, you can see the body just be this physical thing, different shapes and different ages and so forth, different bodily forms, that we might say is the the manifestation. This is specific. There's nobody looks like me. Nobody looks like you. We're all quite different on that level. But we all are embodied. So the, the, the specific manifestation is particular and unique. The common found, common ground is we all are embodied. You know, there's nobody who doesn't have a body, so we know what pressure feels like. We know what heat feels like. We know what it feels like to be sick. We know what it feels like to be healthy. We know what energy feels like. Low, high energy feels like. We know what happens to a body when we feel threatened. How it tightens up. We know what happens to a body when we feel happy. It sort of gets more energy. We know what it feels like when we feel relaxed. Yeah? Or we feel a sense of um, sadness. We know what those feel like. We all do that. All bodies do that. Yeah? Now this, this is embodiment. It's a universal quality. Yeah? So, you know, you can actually recognize it's, this is a useful faculty because it's uh, it's telling us something about um, what's affecting us right now now specifically you know me personally I might have ways of feeling threatened and have ways of not showing that or ways of getting angry or defensive or I might just feel sad or I might run away or I might all kinds of things so these you see the specific unique manifestations are my individual karma 
But basically, the embodied, we all know what it feels like to feel threatened, we all know what it feels like to feel welcomed, we all know what it feels like to be relaxed, we know what it feels like to be tense, you know what bodies feel like when we feel frightened or sad. So we, this is kind of like, you see, the, if you like, there's the manifestation or the particular specific formation that's unique to us all, but that the common ground is we're all embodied. And we can, when we meditate, we can go to that, that common ground. Yeah. And we, so we can, if you like, we have a way of relating to the specific experiences from some kind of basis. Hmm. So, and this is very uh, standard meditation practice. Example, we'll br- all bodies breathe in and breathe out. And they do that. Um, they never breathe in and keep breathing. They always breathe in and then breathe out and so forth. And there are particular effects that occur with that. Hmm. A sense of uplift and a sense of release occur with, with those 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 things, those uh, modes of breathing. So a very standard meditation is just going to that, almost to your basic embodiment experience, and then maybe begin to feel within that, oh, this is the stress in the body, or this is the tightness in the body, or this is the, 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 the flatness or the sunkness in the body, and then gradually, through relating to the, the basic embodiment, then you begin to clean, clean away some of the, um, the, the uh, afflictions, and the body feels quite rested and peaceful. Also, so, uh, so you might say this embodiment is a helpful uh, refuge, an aspect of refuge. It's something that can tell us what's, what's right and real and, may, and, and support us. We also have um, this heart quality, which is whose nature is empathic, it's sensitive. So everything that you uh, um, hear and, and are affected by, you get some kind of subtle form of resonance. This is perception. So it's not an emotion, but it's emotive. This means something strikes you, you feel inspired. That's emotive. You see someone, you feel glad. You see a nice building and you feel, oh, it's pleasant, uplifted. You see somebody get hurt and you feel, oh dear, that's distressing. Mm. So it can be anything from inspiration to depression to um, determination to um, sadness. It could be emotional, but it's, it's much more getting a kind of a resonance or a perception or a meaning is a heart experience. This is where it touches us. We're touched in the heart. Um, this is happening all the time. Hmm. And so this is a ba- basic faculty. We can't stop it. And um, this means that we're in, we're in touch. Now, a lot of the time, things we can be touched with may be causing us some distress. Something unpleasant, violent, depressing, worrying, fearful, un- insecure, uncertain. You get this kind of distressed experience. Hmm. Be threatened or whatever, intimidated, get these experiences. So, uh, and then we, we pick that up and then. We, that we, in fact, we resonate with those very perceptions. Those perceptions cause other perceptions, and you get this kind of escalation of tremendous emotional avalanches occur. Um, so, um, sometimes it's the case that we just can't manage that. So then one response to that is just to try and shut it down. And the way, way we shut it down is, is so that the body actually tenses up a bit. Mm-mm. Um, it doesn't. So it's like a, a way in which you put something in a pocket. Think, oh well, that's what he thinks. Well, so what? Oh, you know, and you close it somewhere, and you get a little bit of closing down experience. You know, somebody shouts at you and screams at you. And you think, oh, 
and you just close that. So if this happens a lot, you can be almost completely closed. <laughs> and uh, you might, one might very well find in, in some situations you go in and you feel very threatened and frightened and uncertain, you just seize up, walk in and you don't know what's going on, so you, you know, your whole sense of being is tense like that. You don't know if it's safe to feel anything. So the, sort of one reaction to uncertainty, even just uncertainty, not certain. So you think, well, I, I'm not certain, so I better close down because it might be dangerous out there. There's a closing down occurs. And this can become almost chronic, like a whole way of life. If you live in um, violent situations or mistrustful situations, situations where people aren't keeping precepts, um, cities. So we can probably recognize that uh, a lot of people are get quite closed down and get chronically closed down. And when, it, when you are closed down, you lose empathy. And then people can do really nasty things. We forget. We don't really empathize other people. So you can beat people up, steal things, swear at people, walk past people who are suffering and not, not, not feel anything. Because you, know? you get clo- so closed that the, the sense of empathy is, is, is screened or shut down under threat or fear. Or, or, it, one is, or one just dwells in one's own uh, thinking. So we leave, leave the area of immediate sensitivity to our environment, we dwell in our thoughts. Which is, you know, the other aspect, the thinking, speaking bit, is the bit that can afford us a uh, human gift of clarity. Well, it's amazing that you can, you can bring to mind and define something. And we do this so, so normally and so naturally that it doesn't seem to be any big thing, actually. But, uh, you know, it's like when you can't remember something, you can't get a word around something. You know, or you, you know, uh, and then you suddenly get it. Ah, oh, it's that. There's a kind of sense of sharpness, clarity. You know, and how how good that feels, just the, the clarity. Mm. But this again can be um, afflicted because if if uh, what we end up conceiving is things like you know mistrust, violence, fear, disease, pestilence. Um, aliens, criminals, creeps, maniacs, you know, perverts. Then you uh, kind of you you're getting all these you're articulating, but all these words carry particular resonances, and you get quite mistrustful and and upset, shut down. So you you know you can sense that if you're when we watch television a lot, and then often what's on television, a lot of it is violent. So people watch violent things. Kids watch violent stuff, you know, six hours or so of people beating each other up. Um, which the hero of the, of the film will actually commit violence on somebody else. And that will be a good thing to do. He'll shoot him, blow him away, um, beat him up, and that's good. You know, like gun, um, Terminator 3, you know, this is the hero. <laughs> you know, Rocky it was a Rocky series, wasn't there? A Rambo series. This guy just kind of blasting people apart. Big muscle-bound guy beats people up, destroys people. This is a good guy. You know, so you watch that, you know, right? Or you can watch, you know, tragic things, um, um, scenes of squalor, scenes of people. You don't, you don't see TV shows about people meditating, keeping precepts. You know, so we now have a half an hour of um, soap opera in which everybody's speaking politely, keeping precepts and spreading metta. 
No, no, you have one where somebody's having an abortion, there's a couple of drug addicts, somebody's beating somebody else up, and there's somebody's just coming out of jail, and somebody's going into jail. That's interesting. It's called EastEnders. (laughs) And people watch this. Maybe because it's some sense of, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. Who knows? You know, it's a, it's a kind of strange, strange um, thing in which somehow we can. The idea, perhaps, is cathartic, you know. But when you get overloaded with it, then in a way, your way of speaking, your way of thinking, your mannerisms start to take on that of what you see on on the television or the films, particularly if you're very young. Yeah. So you get do get these. Um, Situations where you get nine-year-old, you know, nine-year-old boy takes a gun and shoots half his class in school. You know, it's because yeah, you know, that's what he saw Rambo do, <laughs> and Rambo was the hero. You know, you know, so so just recognizing even on a much subtler level what you what you read and what you put your attention onto creates resonances in the heart. Hmm? So I find even if I just go to, I don't really like going to London very much these days, don't particularly relish it. You know, go there to teach and get out again. Because just even travelling, everything is, uh, that you see, a large amount of things you see is based on greed, hatred, and delusion <laughs> in various forms. <laughs> you know, and a tremendous pressure and uh, uh, dazzling power of, of run, chase, compete, grab, get, you know, fear, mistrust, um, allure. And it's just, you feel this kind of coarse, um, coarse rhythm to it, and the coarse vibration. And you think, ah, I like to just walk out in the country and see the fresh air and breathe fresh air and see the mountains, you know, feels good. Doesn't feel so so invasive. And, you know, human advertising, things like that, extremely good at really getting in there, you know, beckoning you in with something that looks, that catches your attention and you get in there and then something grabs you. I don't don't like that um, experience. Because it never takes one to anywhere that's particularly good. Just into more anticipation, excitement, envy, wanting, craving, mistrust, and so forth. Yeah. So I, I imagine that you know, if you live in that, there has to be quite a lot of screening that goes on to just be able to get through a day without being overwhelmed by this torrent of stuff. And in that, I think we, we lose, we're so overwhelmed, we, we lose the recognition of basic clarity, basic empathy, and basic groundedness. Because you, know, you might say the fundamental qualities of being human, as we do have a mind that can be clear, can conceive, can pick things up, can recognize. Uh-huh. We do have a heart that can know and empathize and be sensitive feel things out, you know, and you can also transmit sense of love or joy or trust, you know, we can, and we have a body that makes us feel, you know, where you are, you've got some ground. When the whole system gets overwhelmed, then we don't know who, where we are, we don't know what we are, we don't know, you know, we're just completely invaded. So certainly in, in the whole in meditation, you've got a chance to go right in to the most, most intimate core of the body, feeling that, and all you have to think or is, it's breathing out now and it feels like this. And it feels like that. That feels tense. It feels soft, you know, just recognizing it's not a complicated process. And empathizing with it. So, 
Oh, this feels painful. Ooh. This feels unhappy. Ooh. What does this need? What would be good here? Ah, oh. Ah. Oh. Yeah. So, as you do this, you, you, you know, the empathic quality is so significant because it's that which um, provides the key to release. Hmm? And it's often the empathic quality which, which contains all kinds of stuff that needs to be released. So, you see, what, what does it feel like to feel, uh, you know, sad or alone? And just feel that and... And then how does your body feel with that? So if we try to release the heart just through the heart alone, it often doesn't know what to do because it hasn't, got, it hasn't got a place to release it. It can only empathize. It means you can, if you feel sad and you just relate to it, you just feel sad about the sadness, trapped in the sadness, irritated about the sadness, you know, because you just... It hasn't got anywhere to release it. You can feel it. You can just feel more and more about it, or you could think about it. But for release to occur on the emotional level, you've got to have some place where that can go. And the place where it goes is, of course, the place where it's, which stores it, which is your own bodily sense. So you notice that actually when you, when you do let go of something, there's almost, sometimes there is a kind of sigh. <sighs> or you feel a, a softening in the body. Or you might feel a brightening. Oh, oh yeah. You know? It doesn't have to be that strong, but you, you get some bodily sense. That means now it's been, you've released it. Now it's, it's there, isn't it? it? You can't release it by thinking. You can't release it by saying, well, that's because of this and because of that, and next time I'll tell him this, and she won't, I'll tell her to do this. No, that doesn't release it. You release it through your own um, just feeling the feeling, and then feeling how it is in your body, and letting the body find its own ground. So, the basic refuge senses are the clarity, empathy and ground, or a safe space. All of those get afflicted, all of those get impacted, and they all need each other to clear. So you do need to have the clarity of mind, of the thinking mind, and say, wait a minute, what's happening? Specifically, this is stress. This is the end of stress. Okay, get that clear, you know? Do you need that? You need the empathy, which, feel, which is the place of letting go, which is the place where there's either renunciation or relinquishment, the place where there's freedom from hatred, or the place where there's freedom from cruelty. Where's that? What do you really want? You know? And just consider that empathically. What do you really want? Do you want to be right? Do you want to get even? Hmm? Or do you just want to let go? Do you want to be prove something or do you want to be free? Someone was telling me the other day, um, just in terms of our you know, human relations, that she'd had a um, she was married had been married and um, separated and uh, been through all kinds of uh, court cases over several years um, because the uh, court decided that her husband owed her support. So she'd had this for many, you know, for decades actually. And every now and then he would contest this. So she'd have to go to court and make, you know, and go through some trial. And again, they'd say, you know, well, actually you do owe, you do need to support her. So she'd come out, she'd won the case again, and he'd support her for a few more years, then he'd come up with some other kind of thing, and then a whole another trial would get, would get going. And um, so this went on, and it caused her a lot of stress. And the last time 
she said she got one on, on these things on her birthday. One of these saying you, you've got to go to court to try for another trial, another hearing. And she thought, well, she just felt that. I don't want to do that. And then she actually just kind of took a while. Forget right, wrong, law, justice. What do I really want? So she just said, he can have it. You have the money, I'll have peace of mind. Forget it. I felt like, wow, what a great birthday present that was. You know? So when you take a specific situations that occur, and often this occurs in our relational experience with the, with the world around us, is where we get these afflictions occurring. And if you just think your way through them, then you always come into, you know, deserve, fair, justice, right, wrong, he should, they shouldn't, what I'm going to have, and, you know, this is the law, the rules, and so forth, <laughs> the principles, the ideologies, and stuff like that. Uh, uh, you know, and this goes on and on and on because everybody's right. You know, you can create your own ideology. Brain, mind's very good at that. It's, it's no problem. Ideology is ten a penny. The cause, you know, justice, which is the greatest cause of violence, is the, is a word called justice. <laughs> Because everybody's, you know, all wars are just wars, aren't they? Um, but then you think, wait a minute. Just, just listen to the language of that. Feel what, where, where you feel in that. And you feel probably, I feel up in my head. I feel tense. I feel defensive. I feel tight. My body feels like that. With a spinning. This is right, you, you know, I told you this yesterday, and you did one of those, and then how many more times is this going to... You know, you can feel it. Heart feels quite... goes like a... like um, wooden, or like a screen. It becomes metallic. You're not getting in here. I'm completely defended. I'm shutting off, and I'm just going to tell you what's right. So the heart gets this metal screen on it. Body tightens up, you know. Jaw locks, eyes start bulging out. <laughs> <laughs> I am right, you know, that kind of thing. I'm exaggerating it, but those are the, those are the tendencies that happen, and this hap- this is happens for all human beings. Do this. That's what because the system is the same for all of us. We all do that. You know, for different reasons, but that's what happens. You can, the body does this, the heart does that, and the, and the thinking mind just bams away. Do you want this? Where's this going to take you? You know? Where's it going to take you? It'll take you to the next conflict, the next battleground. That's where it'll take you. <laughs> yeah? You might bash a few people down on the way to the next battlefield. That's where it takes you. Try it. You probably have. See where it goes, you know? And then what goes along with it? The mistrust, the grudge, the defensiveness, the, you know, the being alone, that I've got to win this. Uh, you know, all that goes with it, isn't it? On guard. Do you want that? Is there an alternative? So sometimes, you know, losing is winning. See? Fine, forget it, whatever, you know. You breathe out, maybe feel a bit sad or disturbed in the heart. Breathe in, breathe out. Okay, I haven't dishonoured myself. I know that, I haven't dishonoured myself. That's precious. And maybe from that place I begin to recognise, you know, that in you which I was fighting with was exactly the same as this terrible thing that affects me. 
you were in your defensive, aggressive, righteous, fair, I deserve, you shouldn't, they never do, you were in that state, the same as I was, you know. And then from that place I might see, oh yeah, there's a lot of suffering here, isn't there? And instead of trying to knock you down or win something or get one over on you, I might just feel some compassion. And interestingly enough, the, you know, when this occurs between human beings, you know, because when one person is, more, is coming from the heart empathically, sooner or later, something in the other person begins to pick up. Hey, this one isn't fighting. They're not stiffening. They're not tightening. They're not defending. They're not talking me down. You know? And this is a great tonic. This is how we can help each other. You know, when I go into my stuff, my stuff, and somebody actually does not, stays in the heart, there's a chance when that almost drains the, that, that fear or that affliction from me. We feel listened to. And it's not um, to find some answer or set things straight, it's just in a way of almost like unlocking a key. The other person helps us to unlock a key in our own heart. You come into your own body and, oh, wow, where was I? Released. It's the same. Although we can have specific reasons, the specific ways of speaking, the specific ways of defending or attacking or feeling frightened, you know, and ways of manifesting, the patterns are the same. All human beings will tighten up, heart will be defended, body will tighten up. And then, you know, brain will probably whirl away or go numb. It'll be in some panic mode. And you might even, the brain might even be coming up all kinds of reasons, this, that and the other, but it's not going to get us anywhere. So one of the things that we human beings can do for each other, we can help each other to get back to our basic honour, our basic purity, you know, the clarity, the empathy and the groundedness. If we find our own clarity, empathy and groundedness and just stand with that, manifest that, we have a chance we can help uh, other people, another person to find their own. Now, this is, uh, I think this is where you know, we can be, human beings can be a tremendous support for each other. And I think that certainly in, in spiritual life, anyone who can hold that ground is a great refuge, resource. Don't have to be that brilliant, you know, intelligent, but just holding that, being clear, empathic and grounded helps, acts almost like as a, as a place where the afflictions can be drained away. You begin to recognize, hey, what's going on? Wow, where was I? And you, you can stop, you can let go. It, rem- it reminds us that when we, when we meditate, we tend to assume that meditation is very much like an internal thing that we're not being affected by anybody else. Which is, yeah, that's tr- is true. That's true, that's, that's a big part of it. And we need to do this. We need to find uh, basic ground, basic empathy and basic clarity. You work, you know, in, in, um, in, a, in a screened and protected way. We're not being affected and stirred up or frightened or made anxious or whatever by other people or by other events. So, so medita- meditation internally is very remedial you know, and it's something that one needs to practice with for years, almost coming through all these what we might call peripheral things. 
which at first don't seem that peripheral. You know, it seem actually central. The babbling of the brain and the pumping of the heart and the weirdness of the body seem to be, you know, almost standard. And yet, through practice, you can come, you can get beneath that layer, and you can recognise it is a peripheral layer that's actually imprinted onto this more fundamental quality of purity. And this is, you know, the way, like the whole um, presentation, the Buddha Dharma is is not of creating purity or creating something, but actually letting go, letting go of all this stuff which is imprinted and coming back to basic purity, basic ground, basic empathy, basic clarity. Buddha, if you like, represents basic clarity. The Dhamma is an empathic thing and the Sangha is a way is, is about being embodied, about being specific and, and human and in this bodily sense. Because when we, um, as we do, as we meditate, you know, even completely internally, um, you you to acknowledge that a lot of these afflictions have occurred through external contact. So we might say, well, then fine. And the answer is, don't have any external contact, because all these afflictions occur through external contact. Well, you know, this isn't going to happen, actually, is it? <laughs> So sooner or later we have to recognise there is there's a world out there uh, uh, and we do have an external uh, a medium of external contact. And it doesn't mean that you, the uh, attachment to sense objects but um, just recognising that when the Buddha taught mindfulness he taught it internally and externally. One meditates, this is the body internally, the body externally, the feelings internally, the feelings externally, the mind internally, the mind externally, dhammas internally, dhammas externally. So he taught the two. You know. um, so we might go internally, and then externally means you're just coming to that sense, not of the particular sense object, but just how it feels to be seen or seeing. So it's a particular kind of refinement of 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 awareness that that um, is necessary. Now I would describe that as <coughs> you might, for example, look at one of these oak pillars in the hall and look at the oak pillar. And see all these, all these little marks on it, or whatever. You could see that, but without moving your eyes or without even looking anywhere else, you could also notice. Well, this is seeing. Seeing is like this. There's an oak pillar, and this is seeing. So you can be aware of seeing. You can be aware of the object, or aware of seeing, or you can get so involved in the object that you think, oh, I should have shaped that up, I need to put some pegs in here, it's going to split. Well, you're really getting completely involved in the object, or you could just see it as an oak pillar, or you could see, oh, this is seeing. My eyesight is not so good anymore. Or, this is what it's like to be in a room. So, this is more like um, awareness of, of peripheral experience. You know, what's around me? It doesn't mean that I'm going to get involved with oak beams and proliferate around them or worry about them, but I can acknowledge I'm sitting in a room with these oak beams. That doesn't mean very much. But sitting in a room with 40 people probably does. Because people mean a lot more to us than oak beams. Hmm. So this doesn't mean um, one is getting involved with people or even knowing people just that sense what happens when you're sitting somewhere and you're completely internal as you're breathing you've got mantra or whatever you're doing and then maybe you start to come up slowly as you open your eyes or open your ears a sense of there's a body here space around and you open your eyes and we're in this room 
there's maybe 40 people. Oh, how's that? That's just a little shimmer, you know. And then if people you recognize, a bit more. If people were looking at you, it would be a lot more. If people were pointing at you, it would be <laughs> quite an intense experience, wouldn't it? Yeah. And yet nothing's physically touching you. And yet the perceptual, the perceptions that arise around that. Yeah. So you can see how, and you can be aware of, of that, the effects of that peripheral thing. So, all the time, all of all of us, in an embodied sense, we're in something else, aren't we? We're in our room. We're in a shared meeting hall. We're in a car. We're on a motorway. We're out in the countryside. We're in something, and what we're in has very powerful effects upon what's going to be happening in our hearts. You can't ignore it. You can't say, oh, that's just sensory stuff out there. It's, it's effective. It affects you. Now, when we bring mindfulness to bear upon this, it doesn't mean that we're, you know, fascinated by the sense objects or repelled by them but you're aware of this signifies, this makes you feel safe. This gives me the feeling of peace. This is the sense of being excited or feeling a lot of pressure. You can begin to register these very basic heart effects. So just notice um, you know, what it's like if you're in a room which is crowded with people or in a railway carriage. The sense of that might be quite pressurised. You feel quite, you know, need to protect yourself. There's a lot going on there. If there's just, you know, one other person, you might feel strange. I wonder what he's doing or she's doing because it, there's two of, two of you in a room like this. You, you know, you suddenly realise... There's just the two of us. That means, you know, what's going to happen now? Ten people you might feel quite okay with, and then 50 people, a bit crowded, 100 people are overwhelmed. Yeah? And all the time, you could just sitting on exactly the same space, and nobody touching you or doing anything, but just the perceptions like that. You might feel... Um, and then what if suddenly, you know, 80 of those people turned around and looked at you? How would that feel? Yeah. Or, for example, if, if you and I, one of you and I were just sitting in a room and I said, you know, well, uh, oh, Bob, you know, it looks like you, you've got a hole in your sock, you know, and you'd probably go, oh, really? If I sat up here, a hundred people in this room, and I said, Bob, you've got a hole in your sock, <laughs> you'd probably feel extremely angry. <laughs> you know, what's happening? Yeah. These what the mean, you know, these effects, peripheral effects of what a group of people can do to us. You know, we can feel, you know, suddenly that everybody's going to notice that. So these are very, um, these are very powerful effects, even though, you know, you might say, on some level, there's no difference. If I say these words to you, to one of you, you know, it's the same word, but the situation in which it occurs makes it a very different experience. So it's just to acknowledge the power of context. The enormous power of it to make things from being light and humorous to being intense. Actually, 
all of us exist in a context. And as we, um, sometimes as we sit and meditate, we begin to get a sense of what that context feels like. We feel slightly worried. What's happening? Where's that, where's that un- dis-ease coming from? And you realise, oh, it's my brother, or my uncle, or my nephew, or the earthquake. There's an earthquake in Iran. You know, you're actually, so the context isn't necessarily what's physically around you. It can be things we remember, things we feel part of, you know. Here I am sitting here, but my cousin's sick, and my father's having a bad time, and da-da-da-da-da. So they're all with me, you know, and I'm sitting in that, just as if they were sitting in this room. So, you know, why am I so worried, or tense, or angry? Or upset. And uh, of course, it worked the other way. What happens if we were sitting here with a sense of now I'm sitting in the presence of the Buddha? Maybe that doesn't mean anything, you know. But you reflect on it. You're sitting in the presence of really getting the message across. What if you're sitting in the presence of friends, uh, welcome, or a refuge, or something like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that's a bit better. Now, this so this is a very fundamental practice: is to actually establish a proper context who you what you want to be sitting in do you want to be sitting in the the bathwater of the things you didn't wrong you did wrong and didn't do or do you like to sitting in the sunshine of the goodness that you have done because yeah. <laughs> we you know we could go either way couldn't we you know there's things i could remember things i wish i hadn't done or it's silly or got wrong and I could sit in that and just eventually feel, you know, if I actually brood upon it, I could come here feeling completely sick and disgusted with myself. You know. Or I could sit in the presence of what I've done right. And from that place, as I settle down, begin to acknowledge, well, I didn't, I didn't, that didn't do me credit, what I said this morning. It wasn't really, I was, I was in a bad state. Hmm, must be careful, you know but looking at it from a bright place. Of course, even in um, things like Buddha Dharma, Sangha, then this can turn the other way. Instead of sitting in the company of of the aspirants and the precept bearers and the people, renunciants, and the people inclined to purity, we can be sitting with a sense of, oh, goodness me, always defile people, or with problems, or even something more remote like, I'm sitting with the weight of the tradition. Ajahn Mun is standing behind me, probably thinking I'm a completely kilesa ridden, you know, disgraced. <laughs> so he could feel it, you know, you can feel the tradition like that, or, or the sense you've got to be as good as. So we can approach refuge, not from a place of true honour and value, but a place of fear and intimidation. So it's important to get the, the, the context right. And refuge is essentially resounding with what is basic purity basic ground, basic empathy, basic clarity in oneself and in others. And the the whole movement and the inclination and, if you like, the tradition or the lineages that lift that up. However flawed and blotched our individual karma can be with that, however imperfect these human beings can be with that, we have to 
acknowledge that, but say, yeah, okay, that's true. But with that, there is still, it doesn't mean there's not the basic purity. This is the karma, this is not the basis. The basis is this other refuge quality. Can I see that in myself? Can I see it in others? That's the thing to sit with. That's, that's, the, that's the place to establish one's reference. In the external context, which is going to affect us all. This is really what, you know, where um, you know, communion and community becomes an uplift, doesn't it? Family can swing either way. It could be EastEnders fighting and grubbing and squabbling, and, or it could be something more like what we remember at these times of year. Oh, there's my dad, my good old dad, who, who did good for me, you know. In fact, he got sloshed every Friday night and da da da. But basically, he had some good in him. And there's my mum, who at least, you know, looked after me and fed me and so forth. However, much he disapproved of everything I did after the age of 10. <laughs> Still, she did keep, you know, coming up with the food and, the, and so forth. So you can remember that, these, these things. Um, um, and so often when we come to a place of, of grandeur and honour in ourself, when we reach that in ourself, we start to see other people from that light. The honour in myself sees the honourable in others. This is what Hiriotapa is. It's establishing that, that refuge sense. And when I see the honourable in myself, I don't want to slander it, I don't want to decry it, I don't want to keep beating myself up, you know. And I don't want to do things that, that uh, dishonour myself. When I recognise the honourable in you, I don't want to badmouth you or criticise you or sell you short, you know, or, but, you know, I want to reach that. Um, and this way we can grow, why, you know, you recognise it, the whole way the Buddha established a living form of practice was, was Sangha, and that, you know, which is a, uh, a fellowship, People, monks and nuns have to be with each other. You know, you really, you've got to do that. And also you've got to be with lay people to some extent. You can't grow your own food. You know, so there it is. That's bottom line stuff. So, uh, you know, this whole sense of, of fellowship, relationship, both the, the mishaps and the aggravations and the uh, liberations that can occur through it is to be really uh, studied. And it can swing either way. You know, it can tip either way. Just almost like that. And it doesn't really, you know, is it, there's a personal responsibility, in, you know, to keep at least one's own honouring capacity there so that I'm doing my bit to not have this swing towards those afflicted perceptions which I can foster you know I can think of all the things that are wrong with you <laughs> if, I, if I put my mind to it now you shouldn't don't deserve and whatever whatever, whatever you know or I could th- think well they're feeding me <laughs> You know, or the, the monks, I can think, well, they are turning up and they are, nobody's actually, you know, doing anything really unpleasant to me and they do, you know, keep the precepts. I can remember that. I can honour that. And people have their bad moods and bad days and so forth. You know, it's really important to, to find that, that balance whereby one can, can um, see the human realm in its perspective. Because this really is the view that we have. If human beings did not have this innate purity, there'd be no liberation would not be possible. If people didn't have this tremendous uh, blessing, then, then the unconditioned would not be realizable by human beings. And if human beings 
were not afflicted by ignorance, there would be no, we wouldn't have this terrible suffering. But it's to, to really know, you know, this is, this is the ignorance or the affliction here. This is not the person. And you can begin to sense it. I can sense it in myself. And I begin to notice the patterns in others. Um, you know, sometimes when you're actually sort of with someone or talking with someone, you just, then something starts to happen. A little bit of tension, a little bit, and then, hey, it's almost like a script starts running. And stuff comes coming up, you know. The eyes begin to glaze. Certain uh, energy starts to happen. And then, ah, this is the afflicted stuff. There's a certain tension. A uh, person often monologues a bit, goes on a bit about what's da 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 da. They've obviously lost real contact with the external, and then just actually something from their own stuff is being coming out. And of course, the tendency then is to, you know, to react. And really, what I begin to slowly discover because it's tremendously compulsive to to react or defend or shut down or or excuse or justify or set somebody straight it's just wait a minute and the best thing is just find my own ground be there and see what happens from there and help someone that way anyone Andamayandamakataya sadhu karandada